Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend, the Doctor, Michael Berg, um, who is sporting his very best, the Lutheran Home Association. Um, what do you call that? Uh, just a jacket. With his clericals, looking very, very professional. Um, who is sitting next to... Well, he used to be a regular guest, and now he's back. I guess he was too good for us for a while. He uh, is sitting in front of a stack of books. Very learned. Um, someone sent me that top one for free, like, and I've never read it, so don't make fun of it because it, <clears throat> I don't know. It might hurt someone's feelings, so don't do it. But um, dressed in a, uh, a white polo shirt with a very um, institutional, I would say, WLC jacket. Pretty sure that's a button-down, not a polo, huh? Definitely button-down. All right. Yeah, the, um, the Reverend, the Reverend P- Campus Pastor, Gregory Lyon. Next to him, looking like a... <laughs> <laughs> I figured I was going to catch a little grief. I would say uh, just like a, like a middle-aged white man huh. who probably is going to go um, work on the snowblower a little bit. Yeah. Later. That's a possibility. Have a, uh, a spotted cow. Oh. Maybe watch curling. Oh, yeah. If if it's on. I mean, curling is a is that's a good watch. The uh the Reverend Professor on his way to being a doctor. You're still passing your classes? As far as I know. Jason Oakland. And then back for the, the third time in a row becoming a regular guest. Um the Associate, are you guys associates? I'll claim him. That's awkward. Is there, is there like <laughs> a title, or are you guys just each standalone? I we haven't discussed this. What do you uh, want to be called? They were called the same thing. Assistant to yeah, the I'll be the pastor. assistant to the campus pastor. Uh, <laughs> the the Reverend Campus Pastor Nate Wardell, and we're not making him talk about Bon here for today. We're going to be introducing. Um, what hopefully will be a few episodes down the road, and we might not do all these in a row, but we're going to have a kind of a few topics that we're jumping back and forth to once in a while. <clears throat> um, I think we'll probably come back to Bonhe for a little bit at some point too. Um, but we're going to introduce uh, hermeneutics a little bit. Um, what does it mean to interpret the scriptures? Um, and so we're going to have an episode or two where we're kind of just big picture talking. What is hermeneutics? What does hermeneutics mean in the, the life of a Christian or in ministry? Um, and then maybe use uh, some of the rules from the Clavis, um, the key to sacred scripture, by, uh, I would probably say, our podcast's favorite theologian. <laughs> or at least mine. True. Jason probably will disavow John? because of original Luther? Sin. Chemnitz? I was going to say uh, Matthias. I can't remember how you said I have to say it. Matthias Flatius. Illyricus. Um, but his... Uh, his uh, Clavis's key to the sacred scriptures was kind of the hermeneutical text for Lutherans for a long time. But to talk today just simply what is hermeneutics? What is what is what do we when we say interpretation, you'll hear people say all the time, well that's just your interpretation or or how do you interpret that? What do we mean by that? How do we stand over against the scriptures and we're not going to be getting into um other texts, right? This is not how do you read Shakespeare. Um Unless you guys are planning on going there, but otherwise, I think uh, I don't read Shakespeare. Yeah, um, but I think otherwise, 
how the Christian stands over against or in relation to the Bible and, and even the unbeliever, how the unbeliever might stand over against the scriptures. And so with that, um, I will remind you that we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org org, um, to get your, uh, your fix of various uh, theological sorts of resources, blog devotions, academy courses. Michael has one. Um, books. Michael has one out and another one coming. And I just saw, Michael, I was going to congratulate you. Yours is in Spanish now. Yeah, it is. I was going to say. You have seen this? They've been advertising yeah. it. Yeah. Mike yeah. is now available in Spanish. Yep. Your vocation no, I didn't, book. I didn't, it's uh, been like I didn't, popping up in my feeds all the time. I didn't authorize that. Uh-oh. You authored it. I did author it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I wonder what's next. I don't know. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of giving it as a gift to some of my favorite that Spanish speakers. That's friends. awesome. I never even, I didn't know that they did that. Yeah. Right. That which awesome. I would like. Which language could most use what is, a text on vacation? I thought we would go right to Albanian, since I still believe we are the number one Lutheran what, what podcast is, uh, in Albania. Hey, what's uh, what's the Spanish word for a vocation? <laughs> Vocacion, I think. They changed right. the spelling just a little bit. Seriously? Yeah. I had no idea. But, uh, I think you're making that up. No, but I'm pretty sure. That's I am going to. Are you lying I'm, an, I'm dead serious, dude. Are you able to go on like your wife's Facebook? Go on your wife's Facebook if you know how to, and I'm guessing you know how to. <laughs> um, and go to fifteen seventeen, and you'll see it. And I'm going to get a copy, and I want it, Michael, signed yeah. in Spanish. Miguel, okay? I want you to. Uh, I want you to figure out how to in Miguel. Spanish say uh, "keep on trucking," because right. that's the, my favorite thing you've ever signed for me. Said okay. "keep on trucking." Right. That was remember when I did the map to your office with those pictures. No. You know, when you first, you had been here a little bit, then I had the pictures of you, and they were all, like, up the staircase, and yeah. and then you signed, I got you to sign one and said, keep on trucking. <laughs> I have it somewhere. I'll, uh, I'll find it and show it to you, but indeed, it is uh, being advertised. Really? That's cool. As being out in, in Spanish. Um, so you can get Michael's books at yeah, 1517.org. There's uh, the Here We Still Stand conference, uh, sp- uh, what do you, not speeches, uh presentations. I hope it gets in Russian. I hope that's the next one. That could be. But by the way, did you see your presentation is also up now? Cool. Mm-hmm. For here we still stand at 1517. Cool. And, um, is it in Spanish? Can we say, if we can't say friend of the podcast, we can say friend of of Jason, fellow PH oh. student, uh, Sarah Crowder, yep. who also did something at 1517. I saw even posted and said that you guys should yeah, I did see be opposite because you would have been high-fiving in it. Right. And you yeah. really would be. Yeah. It would have been phenomenal. She yeah. actually posted, she had rearranged them herself and posted us. Nice. Did you see that? that nice. uh, Are they high-fiving them? Yeah, they're <laughs> high-fiving now. So. Okay, I'll have was, to find this after, yeah, and I thank her for good. that. Yeah. yeah. So she's, she's good people. Yeah, she yeah, is. Good yeah, people. She is. Right. So without further ado, you guys know what that means, by the way? What's ado? That's the expression right behind without This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because well as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. 
And that brings us to our free-for-all. We'll have this be a somewhat quick one. But you have, for Christmas, for some reason, you're traveling. You have a layover in a foreign country. you got to stay there. Turns out there's some sort of issue. You have to stay there Christmas Eve through New Year's Day. What country would you want to be stuck in? America. Nope, can't be America. It's stolen land. <laughs> As the my kids for college when we get emails, people always have like under their name like this is on stolen land, whatever. So Yeah. I'm going to Ireland. Right off the bat. Ireland. Because of Christmas or just because you want to go to Ireland? No, I was, well, it sounds Christmas in Ireland sounds like it would be a lot of fun. I have a feeling I'd spend a lot of time drinking room temperature beer in some awesome pubs and watching a lot of fights. That's my assumption. <laughs> Wait, are we there till New Year's, you said? Christmas Eve through New Year's Day. Oof, that's a long time. <clears throat> There's a lot happening in the, in the Irish pubs on New Year's Eve. Well, and I'm guessing you would be able to get, like, American television for bowl games and that if you wanted to watch um, them. So that's probably not yeah. Probably. And I just want to hear them talk. That's the other thing. So that has nothing to do with Christmas. I just like to hear him talk. Is money an issue? Um, let's say you get hotel because the airline messed up, and like a, a slight per diem, but otherwise you you have to make up the difference. So, gotcha. So you're kind of living out of a suitcase for a week. Just out of curiosity, which countries got eliminated because you now know that money is not an issue? Like all the. I don't know, like all the ones that uh, don't have, like, running water and stuff? (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys have, gentlemen? Anybody else have one? I'm going to go Monaco. Ooh. Yeah? Because casinos and stuff? What's the per diem in Monaco? But but you don't have that money. Michael just did money symbols. It'll be fine. Okay. Hey. Nate or Jason? I'm going to go Christmas Fiji. Island. I don't even know where that is. You know that? It's like yeah. the... Yeah. I'm assuming it's like Fiji. That's just like yeah. Christmas trees everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a real thing. There's a real island with palm trees. Yeah. Well, they have I a, hope they go all out. Christmas, Christmas Island is an Australian external territory. There we go. They probably mm-hmm. even speak English. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would go... I have not been to England, but I think, you know, Greg's idea is a pretty good one there. I think... Um, England would be pretty good, but or I I love being in Germany. I think I could find any number of cities that I would be okay with that. So, but uh, no one want want to do like Israel. You are gonna be nah, so cold. I don't know about the. Nah, I don't. That doesn't bother me. I don't. The Israel would be okay. Um, I've been wanting to go there too, but yeah, I don't know. There's lots. Of, there's I w- I would be content with a lot of places. Put it that way. All right. Well, good job, gentlemen. That was quick. Where are you going? Uh, I would say Germany, like a homer, because you have the Christmas marks and that. But I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, Armenia. Good choice. I watched a. Uh, I watched a uh, YouTube video about them not too long ago, and it seems you, the first country yeah. to officially become yeah Christian, like strong Christian yeah. roots. Yeah. Looks like good food. Well, you're just. You know, hoping to get like recognized on the street 
by all the no Albania. Oh, Albania. Well. Oh, Do okay. not confuse the two. <laughs> I would like to apologize <laughs> to our Albanian listeners. Oh. Sorry. But uh, it seemed like a cool country, except for the war stuff. Yeah, this year I'd go with Croatia actually because I think they mm. may, you know, mm. especially if they win the World Cup. Yeah, oh. yeah, that would be wild. The uh, my uh, one of our uh, my friends from the Netherlands was talking trash about the soccer game, <laughs> and uh, every time the Moroccans win, they riot in Rotterdam. There's a big Moroccan population, and they kind of celebrate, and so they burn stuff and so i've actually adopted morocco now as my team my team took out your team for what world cup who was your team again i thought your team Argentina. lost right away. oh that's right no, they lost and then they railing yeah 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 no i think i'd have so. i have to go croatia now as well but simply because pastor borland and i spent a, a lovely time there they bonded so all right well that was exciting gentlemen I was I was hoping like one of us would have like some weird country. Oh, we had Christmas Island, I guess. But <laughs> I just want to be warm, you know. Like yeah. if I get to, well, it's all good. All right. Well, uh, with that, we will make our way to the main topic. And that brings us to our main topic, which is hermeneutics, or uh, I guess you could say rules for interpretation. And uh, this came up partly because this isn't a class we teach at the college, really. Um, it would be a it would be an interesting class, I think, for us to put together. But it is something that comes in up in almost every class we teach, um, and it comes up in the CMO with counseling, with preaching with uh, Bible classes, uh, how do we <clears throat> interpret, how do we understand the Bible? And so the clavis is going to have a bunch of rules. We can go through some of them eventually. But as we were talking, especially as Nate and Greg and I were talking, um, it kind of came up of just maybe with the first one or two of these episodes talking about how does this come up, practically speaking, in ministry, um, in uh, working with people or as we go to the scriptures ourselves. Um, and all five of us in this room have gone to the scriptures and in just about any type of setting you can go to the scriptures in a hospital room, at a deathbed, at a counseling session, um, in catechesis, when preaching, in a Bible class, in a classroom, evangelism. Uh, I'm guessing many of us in an airport or all sorts of settings <clears throat> with people who know the scriptures, with people who don't know the scriptures, with people who are strong in their faith, with people who kind of fell away long ago. And when we do that, <clears throat> um, we go to various places in scripture. Uh, we, I'm guessing all of us had kind of go-to passages even for, for certain types of events. And um, <clears throat> If someone were following us closely enough throughout all these years, they might even see us use those passages in different ways sometimes with different people. <clears throat> I think of the parables of Jesus especially. Uh, 
I know I can go back and look at uh, my sermons. I used to always print them out. So I have, a, I have a box in here. I don't know if you noticed, Michael, I have some boxes in here. You have a <laughs> box of your old sermons in yep. here? That's right up here. Huh? Um, it's right by the baseball cards. And uh, under the, uh, the CMU flag, fire up chips. But uh, They make a bowl game this year? No. <laughs> no. None of my teams did. Uh, but you know who I'm cheering for? Michigan. I'm cheering for Michigan, for you and for the Big Ten. Thanks. You know who I'm not cheering for for the Big Ten? Ohio State. Yeah, I just can't bring myself to do it. I actually docked a kid the other day for, during a test. He wore a Ohio State sweatshirt, mm-hmm. so five points. That's <laughs> uh, how you learn. It's in the syllabus. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I can look back over the years of now, uh, oh, shoot, how long were we out, Jason? 18, 19 years almost? Yeah, yep. And uh, in the lectionary, we have texts come up again and again, and we're preached very different sermons on the same text uh, a number of of times. And so when we're talking about hermeneutics or rules of interpretation, what do we mean? And um, is the uh, is the Bible kind of this like pliable thing? Um, Luther sometimes will talk about like a wax nose where you're putting the nose on and you can kind of move it and fidget it. Um, is it appropriate to be using text in different ways? Is there just... Um, one way to take things. Are there certain passages where there's just one way to take things? Are we really what makes the text meaning? Uh, that's what, when someone says, what's your interpretation? That's kind of what they're asking. What do you make this text mean? Um, how do we relate or stand in regard to the scriptures? Maybe down the road, we won't jump in with this one right away, but it, it could be fun. We talk a little allegory, right? Paul himself does it. Nate and I were talking the other day, and Nate points out Paul like, says he's doing it. <clears throat> he's like, hey, I'm going to allegory right now. Allegorize, but that doesn't sound as fun. <laughs> uh, and so I guess first off, um, just kind of initial thoughts if we go around the room, when you hear that word hermeneutics or when you hear the word interpretation or interpret, what comes to mind in your experience, from your own ministry, anything along those lines, and I'll let whoever wants to jump in first jump in. Can I go from a broader perspective, and I'll, I'll let uh, some of the details. Not only to... can you, but may you. All right. So, uh, um, I mean, we'll get into um, exegesis versus eisegesis kind of stuff. Um, exegesis is where you take Jesus out of the text. Yep, and then and eisegesis, eisegesis you, when put you put him, put him in. in. Yeah. It's either that or you pull meaning out of the text or you put meaning into the text. I can't remember. We'll look that up. Yeah. Um, Jesus with a G. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, isn't that Yezu in by Marquette, right? That's how it's spelled. Isn't... Okay, let's move on. Uh, so when I uh, talk hermeneutics and and for most of my classes, I'll just have a moment where you go, okay, this is what hermeneutics is, is to say, is to say, we do this all the time with every text. When you approach a text, there are certain questions that you have to ask yourself, and you do that often without even noticing it, right? And this is what hermeneutics is. So if I, if I approach a, a book of poetry, I look at that differently than I do... Um, a, a legal document, right, or history or whatever. And and so, especially when we get to Revelation, I'll say, this actually isn't that hard. You just have to understand that you are in what we now call apocalyptic literature. And so you need to, you know that you're going to take these things uh, symbolically. 
if you are in a place where clearly they're writing history, like First Kings, you take that as this really happened, right? And then kind of go from there. Uh, why that's important is that largely our current cultural um, war um, has to do with hermeneutics, more so than more so than a lot of other cultural wars in the past. Um, so, how do, what's your interpretive key? Yeah, is it going to be uh, Christ? Is it going to be? Yes. Um, is it going to be a hermeneutic of Sish? suspicion or a hermeneutic of here, power. Yeah. Now, so we all come with certain lenses and some of them are professional lenses, right? So um, uh, somebody today in, in, a cat, in, in the academy may come to a text with a critical lens, whether it be um, uh, queer theory or something like that, where you are specifically looking for power structures and how they have been uh, used to um, uh, hurt people. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, always, it's good to say, okay, let's take a different uh, point of view here. Can I see something else in this historical text that maybe is not there uh, right with, in, in black and white? The, the problem with that is that what is actually truth can get mixed up with something else, for instance, in this case, power, right? So what is true is not the, the, the main point, uh, who has power and who doesn't, right? And so those, are, those can be very tricky. So I think it's really important that we, that we do talk about hermeneutics from a broader sense to our students, not just this is how you interpret Bible, but um, this, is how you, this is how you look at the world and you can, fall your, you, can, you can find yourself falling into false hermeneutics. Um, and uh, Christians can, can do that as well. Um, you can think of people that look th the Bible through the lens of maybe a therapeutic moralism, right? Where, so I see a, a passage and I automatically go to me as an individual and how I can become better and how I can be comforted by God in sort of a felt feeling way and maybe completely ignore, like in the Advent season, completely ignore the incarnation, right? So I look at a text and I say, oh, this is about uh, me not being selfish in this Christmas season, where you go, actually, it's about the incarnation, right? <laughs> so we all have these lenses that we, that we look through. All right, that's enough. Since you brought up therapeutic moralism, I'll go to pastoral counseling. Um, I'll tell you where I see this come out again and again is the, uh, maybe the confusion of terms when a student will say, this is how I interpret this, this section of scripture, as opposed to this is how I would apply it to who I am and what my situation is right now. That could turn into interpretation, but sometimes it's, it's just application to a certain experience in life. I'll, I'll give you an example that comes up often for me. I use um, Luke 7 and the uh, the woman caught in adultery who um, anointed Jesus' feet. So she walks into the room and there's this big gap between standing in the doorway and standing at Jesus' feet crying. And um, I'll often ask students, 
just tell me why you think she's crying. And the, their answers will be different all the time um, because they're bringing their own circumstance into why she's crying. Now, does the reason that she's crying have anything to do with the overall hermeneutical interpretation of that text? Not necessarily, because the truth remains that this woman was forgiven. But it gives them the opportunity to see Jesus right where they need to, to see Jesus and, and apply the text rather than interpret the text. So I, I don't know. Uh, you mentioned exegesis and eisegesis <clears throat> before. Maybe that gets a little bit into that too, but I, I just think sometimes the word interpretation is used to mean so many things when, when maybe we're just applying the text. Yeah, and I think, um, well, I know, and when we talked um, before, uh, appropriation versus interpretation, that, or application as well, I think will be something interesting for us to, to look at with that. Jason, you look pensive. Yeah, uh, a bit pensive. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking uh, when I hear hermeneutics, um, I immediately think of that in a the, as a as a theological discipline, just because I think when oftentimes that word is used, that's kind of the um, context that it's being used in. Certainly in my experience, you know, when we've talked about that, that's where you talk about that. But I think it is an important thing to say, you know, although there this is a you know, a, a theological discipline, a theological exercise. It is something that happens um, much more regularly, and not just in theological matters, like Mike was saying. And um, and and I think that you know there are um, specific uh, guidelines, and I mean, when it comes to this theological discipline, there are specific guidelines when it comes to how do we do this well. And how do we maybe get ourselves twisted around and, and end up in not such good places? And I think, to me, I think it's a fascinating topic and, and area of study because um, it is a very uh, timely, I mean, it really always is a timely and, and relevant and applicable thing um, to discuss is how exactly am I understanding, how am I, how am I understanding the scriptures, how my understanding, how they, how they apply. And, and I think that's important. I think, you know, that idea of engaging our students here with that, um, when, when you talk, when you teach biblical courses, in some ways you can't help, but spend at least a little bit of time at one point or another, um, with this and how it applies in some of those specific areas. So, uh, Again, I think there's a lot that a lot that we can um, go after under this rather broad umbrella of, of hermeneutics. So I'm excited for the for the series. And Nate, yeah, super important series. Um, hermeneutics is the name of the game, and at least that's been my experience. And and I've heard I've heard others reflect that. Like uh, most of the folks who I get to talk to are ready to talk about the Bible. I don't have to like talk somebody into like, Hey, have you considered Christianity? Like they're curious enough to be talking to a pastor. Um, or even I think like, um, when I do it out of my official role as pastor, like 
if a family member comes they're they're, they're approaching me because they already like are gonna say like i think there's something that jesus knows that i don't and i'm willing to so what do you do with what Jesus has said? What do you do with what the, the rest of the scriptures say? To me, hermeneutics is the name of the game. So whether there's a formal class on hermeneutics in the WLC curriculum or if it just pops up all the time, it's worth a ton of attention, I think, because um, it's where the rubber meets the road for people who are trying to figure out theology. Uh, and I have myself gotten myself into all sorts of hermeneutical trouble by misinterpreting things and, uh, you know, phrasing things poorly in a Bible class because I had one spin on it. And then it had kind, kind retired pastors come up and say, can we can we meet tomorrow? And, you know, and then you learn something, which is which is awesome. And that's yeah. part of God's providence. Right. It's, it's helping me. But I'll tell you that one thing that has really helped me keep things straight hermeneutics wise is. It's, a, it's very similar to what Michael was saying. Um, you got to know what this thing is talking about before you can interpret its individual parts. And so I got to realize I'm picking up a science book, if that's what I'm reading, before I can interpret the individual chapters. And same thing with ancient literature and same thing with, with the Bible. And so to me, the big question is, what is the Bible saying? The whole, the whole big picture, zoom all the way out. What is the Bible saying? And that... Um, I'm stealing all of this now from from one of my favorite hermeneutics uh, authors, Martin Franzman. He's got this great book called, uh, this great uh, paper, Seven. I brought it with me, Seven Theses on Reformation Hermeneutics. This was the breakthrough of the Reformation. Um, and I had never heard it phrased this way before I read that paper, but it's a, it was a hermeneutical breakthrough that they could read the scriptures and say, this is about how desperately fallen human beings are, how amazingly generous the grace of God is and what it means for your life going forward. And um, it wasn't necessarily that, and this is so disappointing to a, to an undergrad studying Greek and, and Hebrew and Latin and stuff like that, that like Luther wasn't like doing exegesis in his, in his office. And then he like, Oh, well if the Pope only knew this verb form, he would understand. Like it wasn't <laughs> about that. It was his overarching view of what does the scriptures mean? What does the scripture mean for, for a sinner like me? And so um, that, that if I approach every piece of scripture and saying, how does this serve the real message of the Bible, that human beings are essentially lost um, or fallen, and that uh, God has, has opened up a way to heaven in Jesus, and now I live my life in response to that or um, with Christ in me, um, that opens up the Old Testament prophets in a way that isn't available if you're approaching it with a different suspicion or a different uh hunch that this is about social justice or that this is about God's sovereignty or that this is about, um, you know, how to be a, a, a true human. Yeah, 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 exactly. You come to it saying this is about the gospel and this in some way serves the gospel. It unlocks everything. It doesn't make it simple. It's still a super technical process and hopefully we can kind of dig into that in the weeks to come. But to me, um, that has rearranged the furniture in my brain has turned my my world kind of a, to a different angle and made it simpler but at the same time so much more interesting yeah and i think i think building off that um we uh you know what i think part of the challenge is um that the bible is a book right it's a text and so um the temptation with the bible is to is to approach it like you would almost any other text and most other texts you're you're engaging the text, but you're also engaging the author, right? The author is telling you almost as much about themselves as they're telling you about anybody in the book. And and that's hopefully usually in a good way. It's kind of like frustrating when you get down with a novel and then you like find out the author, you know, someone terrible or whatever. <laughs> um, 
And it's interesting that there's some of that with the Bible, right? If we want to talk about God is inspiring the Bible, God is telling us something about himself. That's one of the chief works of the Bible. And yet, it's given to us through authors, through people who do tell us about themselves. This is why the, the four Gospels are so much fun. You're you're learning about Christ, but you're also you're learning about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the epistles. You're learning about Paul, um, the prophets. You know your uh, their personality or their background to some degree comes through. Um, and and that's all well and good, but a difference with this text then, if it is that we're encountering God, if we're encountering Christ there, that it's not simply, uh, and this is maybe a challenge in our classrooms because the Bible can start to seem like a textbook when you're going to it and getting quizzed on it and and memorizing things, Um, but that ultimately uh, studying the scriptures and hermeneutics is not merely an intellectual endeavor, somewhat like you were getting with the gospel. And I think this is, uh, we mentioned Luther one of his most <clears throat> profound and helpful insights and something that Flacius will build on is that um, the text is in reality <clears throat> done to us, right? It's um, And that when Paul talks about being spiritually discerned, that the Spirit's at work within us <clears throat> to receive this text as well. <clears throat> A lot of the old Lutherans are really insistent that you always begin with prayer before you study the Bible for, for just that that reason. Um and so when Luther talks about oratio, meditatio, and tentatio, you're going to pray the text, you're going to pray before it, you're going to meditate upon it, like Mary ponders all these things. And What's the word in John? There's a great, um, John uses a word for thinking about the text, and it's like the word for like a cow chewing on its cud. Ruminate? Yeah, this, this kind of like ruminating is a good way to put it. Um, but then tentatio too, so when Luther has his great Reformation insight, which there's the tower experience, was he in the cloaca, the bathroom, or whatever else. Um, the point is that he goes to Paul, he goes to Romans, and he goes to Romans with the scriptures having been done to him over this time he's been studying them. Um, but the, also the spirit at work with him um, through his childhood, through his monastic life. And that's when it clicks that the just, the righteous will live by faith. <clears throat> that it clicks what that means and i think a lot of us um sometimes have that for for prisoners in the pews it might be when you hear a text for the the 50th time that you've heard it in church but where you're at that sunday that text just hits you um in a way that it never has before <clears throat> and maybe the pastor who's going through whatever and is doing text study that week and like that week becomes text study if that makes sense. Like we've probably all had that where that week just prepares us for that text. Like maybe we didn't get to sit down and do as much of the Greek or the Hebrew or the commentary reading that we wanted, but like the parish just said, like, all right, we're going to, we're going to teach you this text pastor. And that, um, and that then is, is done to us. Um, so that what we're, what we're talking about, and I think this is part of why, um, is it Tertullian that says the scriptures are a closed book for those who don't have faith? And he's building on Paul and in, in Corinthians with to the Corinthians and talking about being spiritually discerned. Um, that there's times we're just not simply prepared for a text. 
And I would say this comes up a lot too when people want to go to the Bible, and I'm sure Mike sees this in apologetics, apart from faith. And what are they going to do? They're just going to pick and grab at things that seem convenient. Um, and, and, and they're going in a way as if that text has nothing to say to or about them. And I think that's, this is something where I've grown in appreciation, especially even just for, for teaching Genesis. And I'm, I'm not going to say anything terribly controversial here. But I do think sometimes in our circles after the Bible, battle for the Bible, we almost do a disservice to Genesis where we act like somehow someone can like escape it if they just say they don't believe in a six-day creation. <clears throat> well, okay, if you don't believe in a six-day, 24-hour creation, that surely that raises issues, raises problems. But you don't really get to escape what Moses is claiming what he's asserting about you and God and the relationship between the two. Even if I were to concede and go, you know what? He's just, he's speaking to Eastern, ancient Near Eastern people. There weren't the scientific concepts. He's, well, you still have to wrestle with what it says there surely seems to stand up. I mean, original sin, huh? <laughs> um, <clears throat> watch the news. I mean, what was it? Is it Mark Twain who famously said it's the most observable doctrine of scripture is original sin? Um, that we're social creatures that with the fall that we're not, it's difficult for us to to live what we were meant to be. Um, you know, while I think there's a point in saying, okay, this is, you know, these claims these days are important. Even then you can't kind of escape it. And I think that's true for the unbeliever too. If they, if they honestly go to a gospel, and that's where you should start is with one of the gospels. Even if they go in saying, this has no claim on me, it makes claims about you. And all four Gospels are written in a way that if you, that it's very hard to go through them and not see claims being made about you. John's going to do it in a more didactic way, maybe, but especially the synoptics. They're just going to keep pulling you into stories, and if you can't see yourself in them, um, you're not doing them well, right? You're not reading them fairly. And so I think that... Um, it's something to keep in mind with the difference between reading the scriptures and reading other books when we talk about hermeneutics is that they are going to do something. And, you know, Nate mentioned about the gospel being the heart and core. And what do we say about the gospel? It's always effective. It has an alien and a proper work. But it's always going to do something. Um, I saw a couple of you put your fingers up. So I'll yeah. let you... <clears throat> I was going to say just kind of to talk on, to go back to that, you know, that reading scripture is more than just an academic exercise and that that there's stuff going on there and things happening to you and that there is room for the spirit to work in that i think that's a very important thing to to keep in mind but i think you know it's also important to keep the other side of that in mind too to to say um but there is um some intellectual discipline that comes along with reading this text right because um where you can have you, you can and where there's that danger of saying well this is just an academic exercise because it's a textbook and i'm getting quizzed or tested you know about it but then there's the other side of it where well you know i just i just kind of felt it and you know it must have been the spirit that that mm -hmm. did this and or heartburn um, or heartburn yeah um and you know so it was uh, so i think that's where, you know, you see there's that temptation on both sides, I think, especially for um, 
maybe the students that we that we deal with, you know, that um, to try to to try to maintain that um, middle ground there of not being pulled too far to one side or the other in that, it, you know. So that was just one thing I think that I wanted to kind of throw in that other other side of because you know definitely see those that come from each side of that in the classrooms at least in my experience here so well and isn't this part of the point that luther got to with the tentatio is that it it can be an academic exercise until it's not anymore mm-hmm. you know now what what do you call satan the best teacher of theology um there comes a point where it's no longer an academic exercise and when that point comes I think we tend to thank God that we had the academic exercise. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in that way, it's a lot like training for a sport. Right. Right. Um, practices aren't games, you know, and so Alan Iverson had his practice. family. You know, <clears throat> practice. What are you talking about? Practice. But most of us aren't Alan Iverson. And, um, <laughs> you know, you get in a game and that practice helps you make sense of what you're seeing. Um, if I can use, no offense to Jason, my Detroit Lions. <clears throat> As an example, yeah. was, when the year yeah. started, things were looking pretty rough. <laughs> Worst defense in the league, um, kind of the same old Lions type yeah. things. Um, they've gotten hot lately, and I've, I've not drank the Kool-Aid yet, but I would say I've, I've moved the cup closer. <laughs> I'm considering it. Um, well, you, what you see with a sport, especially like a football, um, that has so much going on in a field at once, is those practices are what lets you interpret what happens live when the game comes. I mean, think about how many things you have to key off of no matter what your position is. And those those individual practice things, um, watching the film, doing the X's and the O's. And that is um, the service that our teachers do for us when we're younger and we don't want to memorize <clears throat> or we don't want to do Bible history. <clears throat> um, it's hopefully the service we're doing for people here at the college and the classroom where they're required to take classes, but hopefully it sets them up for something. And so I think that is that is helpful for striking that balance, as you guys know, that <clears throat> that's not to say there's not intellectual aspects to it. There's words that are used, and those words have meaning, and they're used with grammar. And there's historical references. There's cultural references. All those things are key to understanding the text and enrich, enriching the, the preaching. It's why um, our church body spends a lot of money a lot of money to train us to do the languages, um, not just so that we forget them when we get out, and then well, you know. and not just the languages, but the the liberal liberal arts yeah. background that goes along with that to know, you know, the various disciplines that interconnect with some of those things, you yeah. know. And and so I think that is an important aspect of it. Yeah, but, switching gears slightly, um, you brought up some Old Testament stuff, and that makes me think we're. We're right around the corner of every single pious Christian that I've ever known start their two-month journey on reading the entire Bible. That <laughs> usually gets them to about the book of Leviticus in March-ish, and then they just, they're just they just done. So with that in mind, going into the new year, I have a thought here, but I'm going to throw out a question to the group. How would you encourage the pious Christians to daily study the Bible as they do their New Year's resolution and say, I'm going to make it through the entire Bible in a year. And and I'm going to start with this. Maybe, 
maybe it would be good, as Nate said before, to understand first and foremost, this entire Bible is a story of, of Jesus and salvation. If I know that's true, then I got a lot of work to do in Leviticus to figure out how does how does this book tell me the story of salvation. I believe it does, but it's really hard to read through the book of Leviticus on a day-in and day-out basis, meditate on it, and try to figure out what does this have to do with Jesus. Um, but if but if you can if you can go through the entire book with that lens and really spend some time working on trying to figure out what does this have to do with Jesus, it's there. It's absolutely there. But uh, hermeneutics is hard, and I think it takes a little bit more time than just I'm going to read two chapters a day for 365 days, which is please do that. That's that's not a bad thing. But I, I think we we lose sight of the big picture if we don't understand that even the book of Leviticus is about Jesus. And I think, you know, with that in particular, I think people take that approach of I'm, I'm going to plow through, I'm going to plow through this whole book in a year. Um, and then they get caught up on some of those things or, or this question confronts them. And, but I got three more chapters to read today. So um, I guess either I'll be doing this for the next, couple of hours or I'm just going to blow past it and not. And I think, you know, one of the things with that too, is just to recognize, you know, um, it's good that you're for the pious Christians who are wanting to do this good that you're in the scriptures, but maybe, um, you don't have to do it that way. You know, there, there are any number of different ways that you can do that, that, and maybe if you got two verses and now all of a sudden this challenge smacks you in the face, spend a little bit of time and chew on that right and and maybe dig a little deeper hermeneutically whether you realize you're doing that or not to wrap your mind around okay hey what is going on with this particular question that i've been confronted with here in the text yeah i think um i think there's a good place for those challenges sometimes especially if you're doing it with others like that can be a good way of um if you're reading together you have things to discuss and stuff like that but i would say um, I, I'm a. I've personally have, have grown to appreciate kind of the freedom of. I'm going to keep plugging, <clears throat> but we'll see how it goes because you do get books that are just. They really draw you in, and and you want to dig, and then you get other ones. I'm, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the genealogies most of the time, <laughs> or very lightly skim them. Um, but I would say I would I would highly encourage beginning with a gospel, and I, I know a lot of people say John, but I would really start with Luke, um, get the life and the person of Christ, um, then maybe go to a John, uh, then Acts, uh, and then I would maybe uh, think about a, a, a jump to the Old Testament, to, to like a Genesis. But um, I would really start with getting the life of Christ and then, the teaching about Christ. And maybe, you know, maybe that's where you throw in a Romans or a Galatians there, but that can be a little um, tricky if this is someone who's not read through those before uh, and might struggle a bit with them. And the key is you got to see Jesus first. Right, right? yeah. So whichever order you go, you got to see Jesus first. And and that's, you know, that's something that comes up on my 110 exams. The first couple exams, I always have a question. The Bible is a book about blank. And I'll only take one answer, and the answer is Jesus. And, you know, sometimes students will say, well, it's about all kinds of stuff. But 
Jesus himself <clears throat> says it's about Jesus, right? Um, you know, I, I, I joke with the students that I've never had to learn all the names of the kings of Israel. <clears throat> I never even had to memorize all the books of the Bible. I still probably don't know the books of the Bible in order, but you know what my Bible has? It has a, it has a table of contents. I, I never <laughs> sang the um, Arky song or the... <laughs> Um, Noah, any of this. Noah, he built himself. Or Father Abraham, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, but I've managed, um, but I, I sometimes joke with them, can you imagine going to hell but knowing the names of all the kings of Israel? And that's not to say it's bad to memorize the names of the kings of, of Israel. I don't see the point. But, um, <laughs> but um, if we don't, if you don't get Christ, the book is just not going to make sense. Um, I mean, how do you read Genesis without Christ? I would say you, you can read it and get stories, but it, it's not going to make sense. How do you read Isaiah? I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch, right, and Philip, and he's reading Isaiah. <clears throat> Who is this about? Um, I think that's where if you start with Luke... You start with maybe then John and then Acts of the Apostles. Who do, who do the Apostles think this Christ is as they're going to now suffer for him? I think that would be a very helpful way to do it. Can I push back on that a little bit? We can push back a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me that there are, and this is not fundamentally disagreeing with what you're saying, but it seems to me that there are large swaths of the Bible that you could read for a couple of weeks if you're setting out to read the whole thing in a year that aren't directly about Jesus but are a story of someone else making foolish mistakes so that you don't have to. And by that, I mean, it's a list of ways you can't get to God. It's a list of ways that sure. don't give yeah. you peace in your conscience. It's the stories of Abraham messing a bunch of stuff up and you don't need to see, Oh, Abraham stands for Jesus here. You can just say, Oh, that won't work. Sure. And it's getting you one step closer to saying, well, what would work? And the answer is of course, Jesus. But sure. I think so. To Although Abraham, to be fair, isn't Abraham without Jesus. He's just some Middle Eastern dude who's really bad at directions. Yeah, fair enough. So there's more to Abraham's story. <laughs> but I would say that in the Proverbs, right? Like there's yeah. Proverbs that say, do this and do this and do this. It's like, well, you're going to realize that runs out pretty right. quick, right? And so uh, you run out of luck doing that kind of stuff. So here's here's my really practical way that I would say if you're going to read through the Bible, um, there's not a perfect plan that's going to get you like meaning every time. But get yourself a post-it note and put on the top, like you're just going to put three bullet points one bullet point. This is going to maybe this section is telling me something about failed attempts to find God. Failed attempts to find God. People messing up, you know, instructions about how to, you know, how to do it that don't work out well. People doing their own thing. Second one, Jesus brings me peace with God. What is this telling me about the right way, Jesus' way to find peace with God? And the third one, well, what does that mean for me, right? Like a lot of the New Testament is about. Well, now what? You know, sure, so you yeah. found peace with God. So now what do you do? And it's all sorts of stuff to give really practical advice for living the Christian walk. And so um, to me, it's easier to make sense of Leviticus if I'm seeing those three things. Maybe I, maybe this is going to teach me something about people. Maybe this is going to teach me something about my Savior. Or maybe this is going to teach me something valuable for my Christian discipline, my Christian walk. Um, but hopefully it allows you to walk away from your Bible study every day saying, I learned something. I got something. I have some new insight um, that's not just memorizing the kings of Israel, right? Sure. It's, yeah. Yeah, and I think... Um, and I, when we go through the Old Testament in 110, I usually say, um, to a great extent, this this Old Testament is just a, a bunch of books about people trying to help God's promises along. And then you see how that fails, right? 
again and again and again. And so I definitely think there is something to that. The problem is if the person is going through those early books and doesn't get to understanding what the other thing is, then you you could just be making a nihilist, <clears throat> you know, or they get super obsessed with Leviticus. Sure. <laughs> and now you've you've made yourself. And that's right. They understand that behind that text, there's something more fundamental than the than the book that has the word Holy Bible printed on the front. The more fundamental thing is you have a God who loves you and who acted in history. And this is the his, this is why you should take Leviticus seriously, because this is a, a story of what God did in history to save you, you know, to to work. But um, but underneath that that text is the God who loves you and, and gave up his life for you. Yeah. Uh, Michael, are you leaving us or? No. Okay, because I have a question for you, if that's all right. Yep. Um, maybe uh, just something I want to hit on before we close up this first one, and I think there's plenty we can go with others, is for much of history, the average Christian or the average Old Testament Jew was not going to the text often themselves, not not individually in like a personal Bible study kind of way. They did not have a Concordia self-study Bible. Um, even the Bereans, I get a kick out of that, becomes like the do personal Bible study, <clears throat> like example, as if they all just kind of brought their Bibles and got together, which... Just to call it, you didn't read alone, you didn't read in silence. Right. And so the text, um, hermeneutics, the text was done to you or was interpreted or interpreted you communally. And I guess um, what I throw as a question, first you, Michael, and then anybody can jump in, but if we, if we think of the divine service and... That can mean different things for different people. But if we think of the rough structure of the Western Rite, what we rough think of Acts chapter 2, what we're roughly doing when we come together, I think it could be argued that the divine service itself is um, doing hermeneutics, right? It is, um, it is interpreting the scriptures to us and what it presents about us, what it proclaims to us, um, what it says about us, right? And it's it's doing it visually, it's doing it audibly. Um, what's the word for with your emotions? Kinesthetically? Oh, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Um, with postures. Um, would you say I'm off in that, Michael, or is, is that part of what we see in like the wisdom of the years of history and the different cultures that have added things or supplemented things? Um, that what we do when we gather on Sunday is, in a, in a way... Uh, hermeneutical as well yeah i uh just maybe one point um the the proclamation of the word the readings of the word that that's that's important um even getting down to we've talked about this before how you read the words um i'm not a big fan of the explanations before the readings um sometimes it's good just to let the text have its time without the pastor's cute little thing and it's because it, it almost becomes it can become almost like a more rabbinical type yeah like you know that we're like jesus unrolls the scroll and interprets yeah like you already have 10 to 20 minutes right in Sometimes a sermon more right like you've already been given more time than than you should be allowed um <laughs> Like sometimes just let Speak the text, for yourself, Mike. yeah. Sometimes <laughs> just let the text be, and then we we've talked about this before. How uh, if you listen to to chant, um, that when when uh, the gospel is chanted, that uh, every word has its same value because it's not a chant is you know 
has the notes are written independent of any of any text. And so when you hear even a very familiar text chanted, it's almost as if these words are coming at you and you see you see and hear uh, uh, words that had been not enunciated before in your reading or your listening and now are. So you can't go monotone. I'm not suggesting that. Um, but when you read something out loud, you are putting your interpretation on it, whether you like it or not. Right. So it, in the beginning was the word. That's how I read that, because I really like the idea of the logos there. But I wonder if an Old Testament person would have heard in the beginning was the word. And it was, you know, that kind of thing. So there is some literal interpretation going on there. Uh, yeah, uh, and, I, and I'm thinking partly right. too. Even the texts that are chosen, yep, to write the the Kyrie, the Agnus right. Dei, like the the church has been very conscientious about yep. like these are the texts that we're gonna that we're gonna give play again and again. These right. are these are the key things. And beyond that, a pericope, um, the series of readings. But yeah, uh, this is something that is drawn out of the the synagogue worship and slowly um, was added to and, and things were taken away and, and, and there's certainly freedom in all of that. But only, only in a modern Protestant, maybe even American setting, would you have such arrogance to say that you read independently and that you worship independently. It's unheard of in the history of the world, in any culture, and certainly you don't see it in scripture. What was it, Ambrose, that they used to say was selfish because he could read without moving his lips? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there is something to that, that, and it's usually done under the guise of, of freedom, um, that we can do what we want, and usually under with a, with a little uh, virtue signaling about being um, diverse. When, when you cut off uh, all of history... Uh, you become less diverse when it comes to um, just time and history, but you also cut off usually um, ethnically diverse things as well. So people who say that are pretty much uh, white suburban Americans. Well, and, and the idea it, that... Now, let me hold on. Let me finish. So I think you have to stop and say, you're coming into the presence of God right away, totally lost that in our American context. And so when we're forced like an intruit or Lord have mercy or whatever, that forces us into um, a situation where we're, we're coming, we, have, we, have, we stand face to face with God. Yeah. And so that, that's, that, that's what you're, you're meaning here, that th this, this is interpreting me. Yeah, in, a, in the way and, that these texts to me, like yeah. where is it, the, the Sanctus, where Isaiah's, you know, the holy, holy, holy in this. Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean Right before people. communion. Exactly. Yeah. The Hosanna, the, the Palm Sunday, this yep. procession. Um, the O Christ, Lamb of God. Um, all these things, the way they're placed, aren't saying to me, like, hey, why don't you just come to this on your own and see what you think? They're Doing very purposefully saying to me, like, these things are connected for you. I mean, this. I used to love the Song of Simeon in the common service and have... I do like our new hymnal, but I've complained before. I, I wish they hadn't taken this out. It was out. a mistake. 
I mean, is there a better funeral text than that when you had it right after communion and you said, just as Simeon had held the Christ sure. child, so now you have taken the very body and blood of Christ. Um, that the, this is saying something about these these texts of the of the of the. Liturgy. And when you write your own, says something about you, far more than it says anything about God. When you when you write your own worship, when you write your own whatever, you write your own text. That reveals you, not, and, and you haven't you haven't mixed up. It's not God. It's not God putting the text on you. It's you either making up the text or putting something onto the text. We're not negating freedom, um, but f- freedom be. <laughs> Freedom without any kind of sense of humility, love, um, is is not it's not really it's not really freedom. It's narcissism, and um, I, I think that that coming out of the modern period, hyper individualistic, curved inward. Uh, that's why you see such an uptick in people concerned about tradition, symbolism, liturgy. In, across the culture, right? From, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien being part of the uh, mainstream media, which it was not in our childhood, uh, to um, to uh, the Latin mass and being popular among, among young people and young families. I mean, I think, that, and we've talked about this be- before, this can go too far, right? And we've warned, we, we've, we see that as a, as a, as a danger. Um, but when I interpret scripture as an individual American capitalist, late modern person, it comes with some baggage, and it, and it does when I when I think about uh, worship, which I was not going to bring up. You brought it up. <laughs> How about this for an idea? I like this idea that like the summary of theology is selected for you in these texts, placed at the appropriate time. So how about this? If you find yourself in March slugging through Leviticus, maybe before you end. Just sing the Gloria or read through the Gloria once because there you'll find a summary. And, and, and finally, like, that's what's underlying Leviticus. That's what's underlying the Genesis stories. That's what's underlying Romans and Revelation is the Gloria, the Kyrie, those things that we do every week. So also, if you're slugging through Leviticus, go to church yeah. <laughs> because there you will hear what you need to hear when you're feeling dry and in I Bible think, reading. I think to build off that with the community type idea, and then we can wrap up in a moment, but I have an idea for next episode, but... Um, to go back to the Bonhoeffer kind of again and again as he's rooting everything in Christ as reality. Um, you know, the, the the issue with the purely individualistic approach to interpretation, um, which even a pastor ought not be doing when they're doing their text study to preach on Sunday, right? Where you're benefiting from the communion of saints, those who've gone before and after, you're doing your text study in the light of your parish, people in mind. Um, is that... Um, the expectation for most of history, this is with the go to church, is is that this word is, is to be proclaimed to you. <clears throat> um, and if that's the primary way we were intended to meet the word, um, then again, I think it goes back to we are to be interpreted, right? Um, that this is to be done to us in many ways. And so while it's important to be going, I, I'm not saying anybody shouldn't be going to the scriptures and studying the scriptures by themselves. Don't do that divorced from um, the word being proclaimed to you. Because in that, 
in that proclamation, um, right, you're, you're meeting a sort of word that's not as, like, tame as, like, the words on the page where you can just flick and, and stick your finger there and go, Can't this is the verse for me. <laughs> yeah, that it's being put <laughs> on you. Can I close this out, or does anybody else have Can it? Can I say that idea yeah. for next episode for us to yeah. think about? I think before we get into Flacius, maybe one more next time um, where we talk about you're sitting down to work with the text as pastors. What do you do? Like, what's the frame of mind? What What are you going to look at? What books are you going to have with you? Who are you going to have in mind? What's the goal for different settings? Does that sound okay to kind of think on that a bit? Yeah. Can I just say something super quick? Yeah. Since the book of Leviticus came up, Numerous times. Um, startling to see how God preserved his people, preserved the, the cradle for the Savior. And, of course, you have the Day of Atonement plugged right in the middle there. Leviticus has to do with, you know, the how God preserved his people to preserve the promise in the yeah. midst of some really ugly stuff. Yeah. So just wanted to say that for those who... So <laughs> what is Leviticus all about? You keep saying it's about <laughs> Jesus. What's the point? So that's a point yep. that you can take away from Leviticus. Read it through the interpretive lens of Hebrews. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Um, Good point. This Sunday, uh, uh, the epistle is Romans chapter 1, I believe. And I believe then um, the Annunciation to Joseph, maybe not to Mary, but um, preaching this Sunday. uh when St. Paul describes the word, he says it has, it has a denimus, it has, it has some power, uh, it has got a little juice, right? It's active, does something. And uh, the way the modern looks at a text is, I look over the text, right? Just think of the posture. I'm looking down upon the text. I can leave it. I can skip parts. I can do this. When it is spoken to you, as in, let there be light, um, then it comes at you and it's got a, it's got a little, like, it's got a little something. It's got some juice to it. It's got a dynamis. It's got power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Jason, I'm gonna let you come up with a way to close this out here. All right. Well, I was going to say one, I'm excited about this series for another reason, because one of the classes I'm taking next semester, um, in my course of studies for my degree is problems in hermeneutics. Um, so this would be a good one, a good one to talk about some of these things leading into that and going away from here. Let's let well, the bird fly. Oh, wait. Oh, there we go. I got a good book for you. Solving New Testament. <laughs> 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 All right. Let the bird fly. Another round, I'll set him up. Another round, I'll set him up.